Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Well, good evening. Thank you so much, Matt. And it's a delight to be here. It's a delight to be here for two reasons. One, uh, to be here seeing something very special. Uh, there are very few churches in Australia, larger churches, that are led by a woman as the sole senior leader. And I think that is remarkable. And God has blessed both Sue and this church. I uh, often say historians have now discovered that in those first 200 years, when the gospel turned the world upside down after Jesus' death and resurrection, Historians now say what we know is most churches that were leading that remarkable evangelism were in households and they're led by women. Secondly, it's great to be here uh, with Matt and his family. Uh, Matt is a remarkable uh, campaign manager, campaign strategist, uh, leader of MICA. And uh, when I took on the job at Micah Australia, I wanted Matt to work with me. And um, I've got to tell you, I was a bit shocked when he said no. No one says no to me. How dare he utter that word? I had to work really hard to uh, say, Matt, come on, I know you're doing a good job at compassion, but I need you. Micah needs you. And uh, the rest has been history. Well, I'm going to read two scriptures uh, tonight. The first is a longer reading from Jeremiah. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, To all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now from the uh, New Testament, Jesus said to the people, when you see clouds growing bigger in the west, you say, a rainstorm is coming. And soon it begins to rain. When you feel the wind begin to blow from the south, you say, it will be a hot day. And you are right. You hypocrites, you can understand the weather 
Why don't you understand what is happening now? Jesus is reminding us to understand our times. All of us, and I think it's true of all humans, not just Christians, want to make meaning out of life. We often hear that humans are pleasure-seeking, pleasure-maximizing beings. We often hear they're profit-maximizing beings. I think we're primarily meaning-maximizing beings. We want to understand. We want to get it. We want to put it together. And Jesus is saying you spend a lot of time thinking about the weather and you can work that out. Here's a challenge. Understand the times that you're in. A famous activist called Ivan Illich was once asked, what's the most powerful way to change the world, to change society? Is it revolution? An uprising? Kidnapping the most powerful people and leaders? Maybe executing them? Distribute their power, distribute their uh, wealth, a revolution. Or is it reformation? You actually secretly, cunningly put your people in the commanding positions and institutions of politics, of economy, of universities and education, And when you command those commanding heights, you gradually reform your policies, your people, change society. Illich thought for a moment and he said, no, it's neither revolution nor is it reformation. If you want to change society, you have to tell an alternative story. The gospel is the alternative story. The gospel is the alternative story that has already profoundly changed society. When we talk about human rights and equality, that secular people agree, well, where did that come from? It came from the idea that everyone carries the image of God. They have equal dignity. They are equal. They have human rights. They carry the image of God. That if you or I uh, am approaching another human, we are are approaching something of God. Out of that flows a whole lot of things that we just take for granted in our society that have come from the alternative story. Notions even like humility. Have you noticed whether it's any of our sports people, You would have seen it with the Commonwealth Games where we won, what, 66 gold and I'm cheering and I'm nationalistic and then I'm thinking, gosh, we really thrashed Tonga and Fiji and I didn't feel so good then but I was wrapping myself in green and gold and then I listened with the sports stars in one gold and they said, oh, it wasn't just me, it was my coach, it was my parents, it was my teammates, it was my colleagues, it was, no, no, it's not really about me. Where did that humility come from? Let me tell you, it came from profound reversal in values called the cross. God emptied himself and humbled himself even to obedience on a cross. In Greco-Roman times, humility wasn't a concept anyone thought was a virtue, It was too much like humiliation, humility. No one was walking around trying to be humble. (laughs) And even victimhood, it's interesting this, 
when we think of victimhood today and I'm a victim and I have a claim on people, sometimes there's too much of it, even victimhood, Black Lives Matter, um, what's the women's movement called, Me Too, these are legacies of the cross because God in Jesus was a victim of military oppression, Christian faith reversed all the values saying Christian faith is a vision, an ethical vision from the perspective of the victim, from the perspective of the vulnerable. If you had said in Roman times I'm a victim, they'd said, yeah, you sure are and would have belted you or crucified you. No claim on anyone's power or compassion by claiming to be a victim. So much of what's in our society that actually we do like has already come from the alternative story. It's just that people have actually confused where this came from. They think it's enlightenment or secular thinking. Well, the alternative story is certainly God, the Father, created the world. It's certainly Jesus, the Son, wants to save and has saved the world. And it is the Holy Spirit has bonded us like glue into a multicultural international body, one body. Particularly, the alternative story is this simple. It's to love God and to love your neighbour. That's it. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be asked what our ATAR score was or what degrees we got or what car we drove or did we have promotions in our career and eat at the finest restaurants. None of that's going to be asked. It's pretty simple. We're going to be asked, did you love me and did you love your neighbour? We might even be asked... And did you love your enemy? Jesus said both love your neighbour and love your enemy. I've often wondered why both. Maybe because our neighbours often are our enemies. I don't know. But that's what the alternative story is. All the measures of achievement and success and with young people here in school and teachers, parents saying you've got to do well, you've got to get into university. I get it. I did that to my kids. My parents did that to me. But we know it's school presentation nights. It's basically the same kids that win the prizes every year, don't we? We're not going to be asked, did you win the prize and get the prize at school presentation night? Therefore, you've achieved. You're going to be asked, did you love God? Did you love your neighbour? The one job that we as Christians have is to proclaim the alternative story. The one mission that we have as Christians have is to live, live consistently out of this story. Everything else is minor and the world is lost and the world is without hope when Christians stop proclaiming the alternative story, stop living the alternative story. Well, Jesus is reminding us that in whatever times we find ourselves, there are challenges. Right now, the geopolitical challenges are Putin is saying, might is right, I'm grabbing Ukraine, we're at war again. We're seeing the ravages of conflict. We're seeing the ravages of climate change. 
And the knock-on from conflict in Ukraine, which is the wheat belt, is now we're seeing famine again, the F word. You may not have realised this, but in the last decade we had beaten famine. The commitment of the world knowing how to grow enough food and to feed the world had been extraordinary. Famine is back because of the war in Ukraine, the wheat belt, and climate change in some of the countries, Kenya, Ethiopia, where the rains have failed again and again. They are big geopolitical challenges. Some of the challenges of our world, and which we try to understand, are very domestic. They're here in Australia. One of them is what has happened to Australia that once was a Christian culture. How did you feel when you read the Australian Bureau of a Census report just a few months ago that said for the first time in Australian history, Christians are a minority of the population, only 44%. 30 years ago, we were 90%. The last census, we were still around 56%. We're now a minority. Even more shock and horror, how did you feel? Then those who tick no religion are now 39%. They're almost as many as Christians. I've got to tell you, I felt a bit of grief. I thought, gosh, we're losing. I feel like I'm in exile. Well, when we start to feel that, that the secular forces are on the march, what will become of us? Jesus says, understand the times. Go deeper. You see, people who tick no religion, that does not mean no belief. A lot of people who tick that box have a lot of beliefs. They believe in karma. They believe in the stars and they read their astrology. They believe in earthing. My neighbours who tick no, no religion my age, they've never, by the way, heard of the Apostle Paul, my neighbours. And I did a trip with my wife in his steps, said we're doing it. They said, who's the Apostle Paul? Thoroughly secular, but they believe in earthing. Earthing is that when you have a lot of contact, bare feet with the ground, good things flow through your body, energies, and they heal you and they clear your mind and they give you purpose. There's things called earthing mats. Did you know about this? My neighbours brought them over and you plug them in. You don't have to turn the switch just the earthing lead with the mat on you produces all these good things. My neighbour, who ticks no religion, brings across to my wife and I lots of books on earthing. She's evangelising us. Well, understanding the times doesn't mean that no religion means no belief. Now, the secularists might say, we don't need beliefs now. We've got science. Science explains all the mysteries. You don't have to have make-belief and leaps of faith. We've got science. Now, I don't think there is a conflict between science and, and faith. Science is absolutely brilliant, explaining the world as it is. And I'm grateful. Viruses and technology, brilliant at describing the world as it is. But as soon as your question is, and what is the world as it ought to be, as it should be, with dignity and equality and justice, science has no answer. That takes faith and belief in a story. Even if you're an atheist, 
and you believe in dignity, uh, you don't get it from survival of the fittest and, uh, and science. Beliefs are not going to be removed because sec- secularists say we are, we've got science. Now, science is great at taking things apart to explain how they work. What Christian faith does is put things together to explain what they mean. Humans want meaning. When Jesus says, understand the times, he's going, understand the alternative story of what God has done. Well, even when all the science and all the technology is in and we're told everything's now explained, we'll not be one step closer to knowing who am I, why am I here, what am I meant to do? When we've analysed every electrical, synaptic, chemical uh, connection in the brain and we can map the whole brain, we won't be one step closer to knowing what is mind and consciousness. This is why faith isn't threatened. Humans need meaning. They need a story. The question is, what story? Well, To the story, who I am, who am I? The alternative story says, you're someone made by God. I was sitting in the gutter with a heroin addict in my time at Urban Seed trying to get him into our detox centre. I said words that tripped off my tongue easily. I said, you know what? I believe God made you. What surprised me was he just burst into tears. I thought, oh, he's not religious. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Through the tears, he blubbered, literally. God made me. My old man told me I'm just an accident. God made me. I've only felt an interruption, a burden. God made me. Who am I? You need a story. The Christian alternative story is you're not just a biological freak in a cosmic zoo. a random collection of atoms, God made you. To the question, why am I here? You need a story. The alternative story says, well, I'm here to serve God and to love my neighbour and to worship that God. Let me tell you something. Humans are made to worship. If they're not worshipping God, they'll be worshipping something. It might be pleasure. It might be... uh, Money and profits, it might be a whole range of things that their energies are organised by. They will worship something. But are they worshipping something worthy of their worship? Are they loving and serving someone worthy? To the question, what am I meant to do? Well, the alternative story says it's to find your calling from the God who made you. I think you find your calling this way. Young people often are thinking about their future and what am I meant to do? I think you find your calling when you say, where does my happiness and the world's need intersect? It might be your music. It might be your art. It might be your coaching, your mentoring, your volunteering. It might be that you're really good at creating businesses and giving people who wouldn't get a job Work. When a young man who's been unemployed for a long time gets a job, it's not about primarily about money, about occupational therapy. 
the change, the hope, the dignity. If you're good at making money, it's not just to make money, it's to do something else. Where your happiness intersects with the world's need. It's to tend the garden. It's to be creative because God who created us made us to be creative. Well, this is part of understanding what's happening geopolitically, what's happening domestically. There's another fear that often we need to understand. I remember my parents years ago, and I was overhearing them, listening, and they didn't realise, in hush whispers, gravely, soberly, worryingly, talking about what would become of us three children It was the 60s. I'm so old I didn't study ancient history. I lived through it. In the 1960s, it was the time of sexual freedom, of drugs, of the Vietnam War, of distrust of leaders. Don't trust anyone over 30 was the motto. Uh, Youth rebellion in the 60s. My parents were really, really worried. Funnily enough... My brother and sister and I seemed to turn out okay. Well, at least two of us turned out okay. My sister and I are Baptist ministers, so we turned out okay. My brother, well, he was a minister of the crown, so I guess that's okay. He turned out all right. He was uh, Australia's longest-serving treasurer under John Howard. My wife and I have had conversations that I'm sure our kids probably overheard where we've talked soberly, worryingly gravely about what's going to happen to our kids given the culture and the social media and everything happening. Actually, my kids have turned out okay. When I think about these fears and try to understand them, I go to some words, these words. People lose a sense of shame. Rudeness is taken as a sign of sophistication. People pursue the pleasure of the moment. They lose respect for leaders. The young no longer defer or respect the old. And the old, well, they behave as if they were young. The difference between the sexes is blurred. People get irritated by the least touch of authority and they dislike any rules that inhibit their freedom to do as they like. Who do you think wrote that? Someone like my parents' generation? Christian evangelical leader or an American evangelical? Who do you think wrote that? Plato wrote that in the 5th century BC about democracy in Athens. When we get all worried and anxious, we have to remember, you know what? It's always been like this. From the 5th century BC, and when Christians say it's the worst ever and we're in trouble and we've got to fight culture wars and fire up, sorry, go back and read Plato. (laughs) Well, what we certainly know is that from Plato on, even before, when humans have wanted to unify, there's really been three ways. Unified around their gods or God unified around their family and kinship ties and blood and soil, their nation. Think of the flag that unites us. All unified around a common enemy. They're the bases on which people have always sought unity. Let me take you now to Jeremiah chapter 29. What's happened? 
is Jerusalem has been smashed. The temple has been smashed. The temple is where God dwelt. The temple is where heaven met earth. That prayer that heaven might come on earth for Jews, for the Christian Bible. The question throughout the scriptures isn't so much how do I get to heaven. The question is, How does heaven come on earth? God wants to dwell with us, have a relationship with us. That's what that's what the Bible that's the question the Bible's answering. Well, this is terrible. They've been carried off into captivity. The temple of Marduk and a Babylonian king and these Jewish exiles are a minority. What does Jeremiah say to them in exile? Plant vineyards, plant gardens, build houses, marry, have children, pray for the city to prosper. What Jeremiah is saying is an echo of Genesis, chapter 1, 2, and 3. Remember in Genesis? Genesis is basically about sex, gardening, and God. Sounds pretty good, actually. In Genesis, it is to Adam and Eve be fruitful and multiply. In Genesis, is tend the garden. And in Genesis, is walk with God in the cool of the evening. Dwell with him, have a relationship with him, worship him. Jeremiah is picking that up and he's saying, even in exile, have a lot of kids, marry, encourage them to have kids. There is hope after 70 years I will restore you to Jerusalem. But now, even though it's a hostile, pagan, foreign city, pray for it. Work for its well-being. Now this is a pretty extraordinary message. We know it's extraordinary because Jeremiah 29, 8. Jeremiah says, Do not let the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen, as they are prophesying lies to you in my name, the Lord says. What were they saying, these prophets, these false prophets? I'll tell you what scholars think they were saying. They were saying, fight the culture in Babylon. Don't settle down. Resist, undermine, subvert. Otherwise, if you're not fighting the culture wars, you're being unfaithful to Yahweh. That's what they were saying. And Jeremiah says the opposite. What an extraordinary prophecy. It's extraordinary in every sense because, you know, Jeremiah basically preached to even the Jews in Jerusalem, don't fight the Babylonians. That's his message. Imagine a prophet standing up here and saying, China's threatening. If China invade, Australians don't fight. I don't think many of us would like that message, right? We're unified about a common enemy. It brings the nation together. Jeremiah, this is pretty extraordinary. Well, for Jeremiah, it wasn't simply the gods of blood and soil and enemies that united. It was the one true God that Jeremiah was talking about. You see, back in those times... God's reign supreme only over certain areas and territory. There was the chief god of Egypt called Ra, but only in Egyptian territory. He was useless outside of Egypt. There was the chief god of the Moabite, Shamos, but only in the Moabite territory. He had no power anywhere beyond that. And, of course, there was the chief god of the Babylonians, Marduk. The standing among the gods rises and falls with the fate of their nations. 
These gods are only ever on the side of their nation. They're flag-waving gods, right? What Jeremiah does is something extraordinary. He says, belief in Yahweh is different. The God of the Israelites is not only the God of the Israelites, he's the God of everyone. This introduces a radical split between God and his people, the Israelites. This is extraordinary because Jeremiah is saying this God's power extends not only over Israel but everywhere. Well, such a God cannot, cannot surely just be universal. Your God protects your people. If the people lose, the God lost. That's how everyone thought. You might go, well, that's ancient history. Thanks, Tim. Not relevant. <laughs> Not relevant? Think of Vladimir Putin and the Orthodox Church today. In 2013, I had a meeting with Putin. It was the G20. Russia had the presidency. I was over there leading civil society. We had an hour and a half with Putin in his stasher outside of Moscow, an hour and a half out of Moscow. And Putin had the TV cameras there through the whole thing. Uh, we're going back and forth on Syria and a whole lot of issues. And then Putin's fascinated. I'm irreverent. Putin, the ex-KGB leader, is wearing a cross, by the way. And he says, you're irreverent. The West has lost it. Where, uh, and it's lost Christianity. Where? Defending Christianity, we're against the decadence and the immorality of the West. And then he says, and I'm telling young Russians to go back to church. They need God in their lives. And I'm giving millions of rubles to build churches, three a day. And I'm listening to this and thinking, hmm, pretty hard to fault this. Push my luck and I said, that's great, President Putin, but why did you lock up Pussy Riot? In Siberia, a girl band who sang in the Church of the Sun Saviour in Moscow. Oh, Putin said they were blasphemous. The church was offended. We're not having that. I said, sure, the church was offended. But if they're a Christian church, I'm thinking of the alternative story in my head, a Christian church would say, even if we're offended, we believe the gospel is about forgiveness. Surely they'd say forgive them a look of utter incomprehensibility came over Putin's face. He said, why would a church ever say that? Well, we know the Russian patriarch has called the war against Ukraine a holy war. He's called Putin a miracle of God. Their God, their church, has become a tribal God, just like back in ancient times. The church has become a department of the state. This is totally different to what Jeremiah is saying. Some would say that American evangelicals in backing Trump so solidly, solidly flying the flag, have done the same thing. Jeremiah teaches us that the true God cannot be captured. You know those plagues in Israel, in Egypt when the children of Israel are trying to be set free and Moses tells Pharaoh, the plagues are coming. The plagues aren't just to get the freedom of the Israelites. The plagues are to show Pharaoh in Egypt that God's power extends over Egypt. 
He's not a tribal God. He is beyond. The story of the Israelites in Egypt is a criticism of nationalistic political power. Blood and soil and flag and my mob. Well, it most powerfully shows in Egypt that the true God is on the side of the powerless. They were slaves, the defenceless. Nowhere in the ancient world was there a God on the side of the vulnerable. We know this even more fully when God in Jesus dies on a cross. He is the victim, the most vulnerable to save us. So Jeremiah is really saying, this isn't a defeat of the Israelites and it's God. This is a defeat of the Israelites by their God. Yahweh using the Babylonians as his instrument of judgment. God endorsing not might, but endorsing right. God who reminds us that he's above all. I was very, very proud that Matt and I were able to run a campaign called Christians United for Afghanistan. We're asking for 20,000 extra places in Australia after Kabul fell. We weren't getting anywhere. We united the whole church, every denomination, Australian Christian lobby. We went down to see the government. And what's remarkable is this. It's very hard to unite the church on anything. Have you noticed that? Very hard. To unite the whole church, Christians speaking for Muslims really surprised the then Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Immigration Minister Alex Hawke. The whole right to the left, if you like, of the Christian church. On budget night, the last budget Josh Frydenberg gave, I got a ring 20 minutes after he sat down from the Minister for Immigration, Alex Hawke, saying, Tim, we haven't given you 20,000 places, but you've got 16,500 places. Christians advocating for Muslims. Why? Because God loves all the world. He didn't just say, I love Christians. People, I hope there'll be Afghan refugees who'll have children and build houses and plant vineyards and maybe call their sons Micah. Wouldn't that be appropriate? Or maybe Matt. <laughs> this is a God above all gods. We ran a campaign in COVID for all. Matt devised this campaign when our nation bought, as rich nations did, five times the number of vaccines than our whole population. Who missed out? All the poorest nations. Nurses and health workers dying, treating people with COVID because they couldn't get the vaccine. This campaign, End COVID for All, united a whole lot of people and saw our government commit a half a billion dollars for vaccines for the world's poor. God endorsing right, not just might and wealth. So this remarkable alternative story, which reverses values in the cross, cross showing an ethical vision from the perspective of the victim, God, who is the victim in Jesus, and the perspective of the vulnerable, reminds us that we worship a God that transcends all gods, a God 
who's certainly greater than the Greco-Roman gods in Jesus' time, their gods were pretty useless, you know. They were mischievous. They were troublemakers. You had to appease them and make sacrifices. You never knew if they were good. Well, you thought most of the time they weren't good. <laughs> That's why you appeased them with sacrifices because they would send the sickness and blight you. Well, today the gods may not be like that, but they're the gods of sex and money and people with money who turn their wealth into power to get what they want over others. They're the gods that people will worship, but actually destroy and enslave human life. Secondly, it's not just a God above all gods, it's a God above all blood and soil, flag-waving nationalism. This is remarkable that the Christian faith believes in a unity not based on blood and soil and nationalism, neither Jew nor Gentile. By one belief in one God through one baptism and one spirit, we belong to an internationalist, multicultural body. Isn't that exciting? Because all carry the image of God. Love the fact that in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the last question the uh, apostles asked Jesus, they get one last question before he ascends to heaven. You can go and read it. What's the best question they can think of? It's this. Is now, Lord, the time you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? In today's language, we'd paraphrase that as, is now, Lord, the time you'll make Israel great again? And Jesus won't have a bar of it. It's not for you to know any of that. You're to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost, witnessing to the alternative story that all carry the image of God, all have been created. Jesus died to save this world. There is a unified body, thanks to the Holy Spirit. We hear that message, make China great again, make Russia great again, make America great again. You would never hear Germans say, let's make Germany great again. Do you know why? They would know whose voice had that slogan in the 1930s. We belong to an internationalist body, a body that is not neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. It's neither knights or rabbitos. It's neither gay nor straight. It's neither vaccinated or unvaccinated. It's neither citizen versus refugee. It's neither left nor right. Often in the church, we're motivated to fight the culture wars because their politics are different. I say, don't go left, don't go right. Go deeper into Jesus. We belong to something much bigger. The temptation for most Christians isn't to go left because even though the left might be the party of social justice and the prophets, they're always so secular. They're so harsh and religious freedoms. We're never tempted that way. We rarely are. We get tempted to go right far too easily. You know, in 1981, Billy Graham refused to join Jerry Falwell's moral majority. The first time evangelicals were mobilised to campaign for a president, Ronald Reagan. They were the voting base. Billy Graham refused to join. And he said these words, I don't want to see religious bigotry in any form. It would disturb me if there was a wedding between religious fundamentalists and the political right. 
The hard political right has no interest in religion except to manipulate it. Sadly, we have seen our Christians going, oh, but the right are more on about family or religious freedom or the individual. Don't go right, don't go left, go deeper into Jesus. Transcends all gods, all politics. This uh, alternative story says, God will dwell with us. He will renew the earth. He will call us to tend the garden. It's called Creation Care. It's the beautiful books that we've launched tonight. This Jesus, he said, my body is the temple. There won't be a new temple in Jerusalem where heaven and earth meets. It's already come. The divine and the human, they have met in Jesus. They have met. This alternative story, Reconciling, Redeeming the World. Let me finish by saying I have a dear friend from my St Kilda Baptist days who uh, still feeds the poor down there. But this friend of mine, we text and talk quite a lot, drives me insane. He drives me insane because his politics are so different to mine. He only reads the Murdoch press, I read wider, he, wider press. He thinks Trump is terrific, I don't. He's not convinced at all that climate change is happening or nor that we can make any difference, I believe, in creation care. We're often firing texts off at each other and it gets pretty robust. And then every now and then we stop and we say, isn't it good to remind ourselves our identity is not in politics, it's in Christ. We transcend this. We belong to a body that is unified. Our next campaign for Micro Australia is now going to be shown on the video and then Matt will finish. Thank you very much. Imagine if there was no food left. Well, for Kengan, this is her reality. My two-week-old baby had not a crying due to hunger. I was eight months pregnant when a man from neighboring community attacked our village. Managing to escape with her life, there was no food to be found anywhere. Unable to produce enough milk with no food source and now no home, Kengan wanders from farm to farm in a desperate attempt to feed her two-week-old daughter. She is one of 49 million people on the brink of famine. This is a crisis of 2022 proportions. COVID-19, the climate crisis and global conflict are breeding new levels of hunger. You've seen how the war in Ukraine has affected food prices in Australia. But in countries where people were already struggling to find food, this conflict has pushed them to the breaking point. We can save millions of lives if we choose to act now. Our government has shown their desire to stand with nations tackling the worst of this crisis. Now we are calling on them to action a famine prevention package of $150 million to help save lives in Afghanistan, Yemen, Syria and countries in Africa where food shortages threaten millions. Australia, we can make a difference right now. Write to your MP today. Help fight famine. Thanks, Tim, again for sharing. And uh, I love spending time listening to Tim unpack the scriptures applied to current events because it often brings perspective 
and a measure of hope and comfort and peace, but also profound challenge. You really need some time to think about it. But uh, that's the mystery of God's scriptures. It's not always easy to understand at first. It seems simple, love God, love your neighbor, but the implications are quite radical and it takes time to think through that and to think through in our own lives how we are to live that out. And uh, we shared that video with you today about our Help Fight Famine campaign. Tim shared about some of the drivers of that, the conflict in Ukraine and elsewhere. And uh, we share about it because in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be going with our Women Leaders delegation. Tim and I just support that, obviously. Uh, But Pastor Sue is joining other Christian women leaders from across our country. We're going to be going to Parliament and advocating for that famine prevention package. And uh, we go for a day We've already confirmed to meet with about 40 politicians, including uh, Foreign Minister Penny Wong, and uh, we'll be talking about the church's heart, that Australia, even with our own challenges here, that we can look after those vulnerable in our own communities, as the church does, but also be able to help those in very, very desperate need overseas right now. So we ask you to pray for that, and uh, it's so powerful when you yourself write to your own federal member, and there are letter-writing kits on the table as you go out, You can read about the campaign, what we're asking the government. You can write to your federal member there and uh, we can take that as well when we go to Canberra. So I encourage you to do that or you can do that online as well. So thank you, Tim. The prayer team is going to be here at the close of the service after we worship together so you can receive prayer and uh, ministry. And we're going to sing together and then we're going to close for this morning. So thanks very much. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.